0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Now cast your mind back to March 2020, just as the world was closing. Sam McManus from Yellowwood Adventures took a daunting gamble and hopped on a plane to Costa Rica. On this episode, we talk about how the pandemic can change travel even for the better. Tourism being potentially a means for good ecotourism reforestation surfing small pueblos in the green hills of northern spain his wonderful new travelogue about his explorations it's called wax and gold journeys in ethiopia and other roads less traveled and also the pool of friends family and home particularly in times of difficulty sam mcmanus returns to the big travel podcast I'll have your book in my hands and I'll stroke it. I mean, (laughs) it's got a bit chewed by children. They haven't literally chewed your book.
1: (laughs) Thanks for buying it, by the way.
0: Oh, I I loved it. You know, I I do try and buy books from people rather than be given them. I mean, often I am given them, but I like to buy them if I can. And it's called Wax and Gold, Journeys in Ethiopia and Other Roads Less Travelled. And, you know, funny enough, you inspired me to go to Ethiopia because when I had you on the podcast last time you are one of our few you're my second only returning person but you, you spoke so beautifully about it and it was just somewhere I hadn't expected to want to visit actually it's not like I just booked a flight there after you said it I'd, I'd love you to think you had that influence on but it me. got it on your radar <laughs> it got it on my radar yeah, yeah. and then I got it on, I would have said yes anyway but I coincidentally got off a work trip there and I just thought it was stunning
1: Fantastic. Well, you know, I've been talking my head off about Ethiopia for the last six years, running trips there. And, yeah, half the book, the stories are based in Ethiopia on the first three-month trip I did there. And, yeah, it's just one of those strange places that I I fell into. And then it's kind of defined the whole business as well. Every time we did um, shows and and actually we're returning now to the Keswick Mountain Festival in the Lake District in September But you know, we always put. You've got a beautiful Ethiopian rug, and we would always have our stand with Ethiopian coffee, and it It was just the theme that we just went with. And it was our most popular trek up in the north in the Tigray region, which, as you know, unfortunately has got huge political troubles at the moment, and yeah, it's it's turned into a humanitarian crisis.
0: So, what is happening in Ethiopia?
1: Well, it's a huge question. It's a very tribal country so there's 82 languages so it's very much split up into lots of different tribes. The long and the short of it is in the the northern Tigray region had control of the government for about 20 years after they kicked out the the communist regime under Mengistu the Derg they were called. They then held most of the governmental power of the country when Abiy Ahmed came into power who's the current president he was from the Aromo tribe and although he won the nobel peace prize for ending the war with eritrea which or the sort of sort of stalemate situation that'd be going on for 20 years um the the tigrinya rebels called the tplf weren't very happy about that and it just became they started you know uprising with arms and then eritrean soldiers got came into the mix so it's a, a huge awful mess and with huge loss of life and It used to be the Sudanese, you know, refugees coming into Ethiopia. Now it's the other way around. It's all of the Ethiopians fleeing into Sudan. So we were able to send funds there to get my business partner, Gebre, and his family to safety. But there's so many people that that need help. And the world knows about it. And there are charities trying to help them. But
0: what has happened to your business partner there? Do you know?
1: Well, he I mean, his house was burnt down and and he had to escape and, and hide in the mountains. And um, we, able, we were able to get him funds, and him and his family were able to escape to Mekelle, which is the, the capital city where there were government forces at the time. And so now he's—I think he's—he's he's just moving down to Addis Ababa. So yeah, I mean, it's—and he's one of the few lucky ones, you know, who was able to get some outside help. So it's tricky, you know. Africa's like that sometimes. It can, as soon as the political stability leaves it descends into chaos, and that's exactly what's happening at the moment.
0: His house was burnt down. You can only imagine what that might be like and fleeing for your life, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, his father was murdered, and I don't want to go into the gory details, but, you know, it's it's terrible what's happening up there at the moment. And, and yeah, just, just look it up in the press, you know, just look in the BBC. The, the reports that are coming out are really shocking.
0: It just seems so unfair as well, doesn't it? It's only, it's not even a, a lifetime ago when you and I were young teens and... Uh, maybe a little bit I'm trying to work out my dates the, now the famine I'm, the famine exactly well
1: that was also caused so that you know most people don't know that the famine was also politically caused in fact it was the communist regime at the time were using food as a weapon against those TPLF Tigunya rebels and they were essentially starving them out and food supplies were coming in from from Bob Geldof and, and Live Aid and all of this and they were with, withholding them so most famines tend to be you have a huge political element to them you know there's you can, we often there's enough food in the world to to, to help each other
0: and ethiopia is a particularly a surprisingly green and
1: verdant oh, land. it's a bread basket and for me it's so strange you know i've spent the last six years obviously not during the pandemic but taking tourists up and and showing them ethiopia and hiking through Tigray, and people just loved it and we'd camp out in tents and it's so strange for me to know a place so well and have war descend upon it you know it's I've never been in contact with a war so closely before so yeah it's very I can only you know pray for the people of Tigray
0: and you, it, the, the interesting thing is, is you have been to a lot of what we would call uh, remote regions, and uh, they're not the sort of place that people generally go on holiday. And that's how you've you've made your your travel and and, and also your, your business.
1: Yeah, that's been our that's been our sort of niche, if you like. So the other trips we do are in Oman, in, in Lebanon, Mongolia, sort of more frontier type countries. Um, In the pandemic, obviously, we had to stop running tours. So I then had a, I'd I'd already moved out of London, but I just said I didn't want to be locked down in the UK. So I flew to Costa Rica, which you wouldn't really call a frontier destination. But on the eve of a pandemic, it felt like a frontier destination getting on a one-way flight over the Atlantic and then I spent five months there, and then I've just been in uh, living in North Spain for nine months in the Picos de Europa, and we've launched itineraries in, in both those countries as well.
0: Well, let's get onto that because uh, one of the reasons that I, you know, I wanted to speak to you is obviously things have changed for you, but also what do you, adventurers do in a global pandemic? You know, what tell, talk us through it? What happened, What happened in March twenty twenty? How did that look for you?
1: Well the last trip I ran as a guide was in Ethiopia but in the southwest in the coffee country so I'd partner with the Ethiopian coffee company in London and you know through their coffee lovers we'd very quickly got a group together and taken them down to that lush rainforest region which was great and then um, we did all the travel shows which always at the beginning of the year in London Olympia like the events travel show and then we just had loads of you know, trips scheduled for that year: two in Lebanon in in March and April with with journalists set to set to to go on them. One from National Geographic and one from the Telegraph. We had two other trips in Ethiopia in March, but with our led by our Yellowwood International Mountain Leaders alongside obviously the local the local Ethiopian guides. And then we just had to cancel everything. We got the last groups back from from Ethiopia safely, and then had to cancel all the trips for the year. And I just, you know, I, ju- I just knew that the, the pandemic, I had that feeling that this wasn't going to go away anytime soon. I'd been working my fingers to the bone for six years as a travel entrepreneur, getting a company off the ground. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to take them. And it was a huge gamble. And my first plan was, had been to go to Panama because I lived in uh, Mexico for a year, surfing on the beach on the Pacific And I'd been to Panama and absolutely loved it. But Panama had already shut its borders, which was also fate smiling upon me because they had one of the strictest lockdown regimes. At one point, men weren't allowed to go outside, just women, and it was all quite intense. What's and, the
0: thinking behind that cuz women do the shopping?
1: Well, no, it was some days men could go out and some days women cuz it was then very easy to just tell who was breaking the rules by sex obviously. Ah, but then that would clever. obviously thin out the population of of who could go outside on a given day. Or so I hear, I wasn't there at the time. And then I saw Costa Rica had 2 days left of its borders open, and I'd been to Costa Rica once and I like surfing and I just I just took a gamble and got a one-way flight. And I can tell you my first night in San Jose, a hostel in San Jose was a very sleepless one because I was like a salmon swimming against the current of literally fleeing the country. Tourists were just getting out of there and I was coming in. I was like, even I said to myself, have I gone a little bit too far this time? But I landed on my feet and spent five months on the beach, made wonderful friends and just had a bit of a rest.
0: Thinking about that salmon swimming against uh, the the tide, as it were, and just casting my mind back to March 2020. And as a travel journalist, I was reporting on, uh uh-oh, this is looking kind of serious. The the doors are closing on everyone. There's people stuck all over the world. Mm. People have just gone off travelling the world. Everyone trying to, to scramble to get back lots of people stuck actually in in south and central america as i recall yeah. quite high, pro- high profile cases in the, the the media and there you are just flying out in the opposite direction and thinking well actually this looks you know you're used to traveling and used to being an adventurer but that actually that must have been quite daunting
1: yeah it really was and it was a complete gamble but you know you just get that feeling sometimes and and you've just got to follow it and the alternative was being stuck in the uk for, for i didn't know how long and i just you know i was very much used to, to traveling as you said and i i just had that inclination that and in of course in hindsight all my friends went oh wow that's such a great idea but yeah imagine trying to persuade any of them to, to come with me at the time so i just went i didn't tell anyone you know i just trusted my gut instinct and flew under the radar and ended up in a beautiful beautiful beach surf town called Santa Teresa which is very famous on on the west coast of Costa Rica right next to by sheer dumb luck the Cabo Blanco National Park which was the first established protected national park of of Costa Rica and again you know fate smiling upon me I just had sort of time to sort of relax and, and wind down and think and study. And I started reading about Costa Rica, which is, for people who don't know, it's the real poster child of, of ecotourism. Um, the journey towards that has been a fascinating one. There, President Jose Figueres abolished the, the National Army, which I don't think any other country has ever done, when he came to power via civil war. And he said, right, we've had enough of that, and then... It was a long and bumpy road, but they realized quite quickly that by establishing tourism, they could benefit both the economy and then protect the, the local biodiversity, which, you know, the local farmers were starting to hack down the rainforest for cattle and to plant palm oil, which aren't especially high paying enterprises, especially as the soil gets ruined after a couple of years. And Jose f- figured out that actually if we now we've got a, a safe and established country in in latin america with the beautiful rainforests and and animals if we can attract more tourism and and use that money to, and inject it into our economy we can make a much more stable country and over 30 years that's exactly what they did they have one of the best economies they've managed to double the the forest cover in costa rica in 30 years literally double the amount of trees just by planting and they have lots of Really great uh, incentives for the local eco tourism companies to live up to those standards, to clean up the beaches around them, and it just works. And I think if I could take, or if the world can take this model and apply it to other countries, because I think the future of tourism is is really going to change after the pandemic. There's so much going on there's been a huge shift in consciousness i have a a second business in which i'm a director which i'm less involved in but it works uh, in development finance so the world bank and development finance institutions trying to work on projects that help sustain sorry help to finance the sustainable development goals which were set out by the united nations in 2015 paris agreement gender equality obviously fighting against climate change and all of all of that sort of thing. And I've been learning so much through that work that I actually see tourism as, as a means to do good in these countries that so desperately need it. Look at Lebanon now that they are on their knees via corruption and then coronavirus and then the blast in the port in 2020. The people who have were in the middle class have become poor and the poor have become destitute and tourism you know all they need is foreign currency and and tourism coming in and 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 bringing that you know desperately needed lifeline to the economy and we still can't go there at the moment
0: it's interesting that you're saying that costa rica doing this they're, they're supporting their initiatives with tourism because they're working with tourism because i would say it in, in some areas pre-pandemic tourism became a bit of a dirty word if you look at in 2019 and even a couple of years before we had protests on the street of barcelona for example saying tourists and airbnb and the mass tourism is actually pricing people out of the city Mm -hmm. and also trashing the place you know look look as as well at somewhere like like venice but then again like fast forward we never thought we never anticipated something like the the global pandemic some scientists might have done bill gates possibly but we we never anticipated that and then Again, do you remember those eerie pictures of empty streets? And now, in somewhere like Barcelona, a friend of mine was there last week. And I grew up on the Costa del Sol, so I've got friends there Mm. all the time. That it's it's dead, you know. That it's it's getting a little bit busier, but there are people that whose businesses have gone forever. Bars, restaurants, waiters, cleaners—all those people that are relying on the tourism dollar so i, I realize it's a, it's a different thing costa rica tourism with its you know beautiful verdant land and forests and beaches and everything is not the same as say barcelona and, and venice that were overrun with people and in venice's case literally sinking under the weight yeah. of um tourism. Well, it's not, not
1: just cities and, you, and you're completely right over tourism is a menace and and it's extremely destructive look at Everest base camp and the queues to get up Mount Everest and Machu Picchu. You know, there's 8 billion people on the world for a start. You know, we've just, our population's completely spiraled out of control. Just the weight of that movement, often to just s- the same places, like in Instagram, you know, are the Venices, Barcelonas. If, if everyone's going to the same places, well, of course, there's going to be this awful fallout and then. Not to mention the pollution and, and the, the, the trouble that that causes in those places. And that was the whole ethos between for me to found yellowwood because I was saying trying to say, look, there's a whole other world out there. There's all of these other amazing places. Let's try and let's try and spread ourselves out a little bit. And I, I already we were doing carbon compensation. We were planting enough trees to offset has become a dirty word, but to compensate for the carbon that was being put out by the flights and it's it's a it's a very difficult point of discussion but you know because people associate it with greenwashing but trees are still the best means that we have for sinking carbon out of the atmosphere and and producing oxygen which we desperately need so you know we continue to do that and then now that we're starting to work with established charities in in each of these countries tourism if it's done right can be a huge force for good in lebanon for example we partner with a a local charity called food blessed and all they do is feed people regardless of race religion sex whatever it is they just give out food and and we bring the our clients there to see the good that work that they're doing and obviously help donations to to flow into those good causes Similarly, well, we've partnered with charities in in every country we go to. In North Spain, where I was based, we've partnered with uh, FAPAS, which is the Foundation for the Protection of Wild Animals. In the region, they're currently working on projects planting 300 – sorry, no, there's 300 wild bears in the region. And they're planting 1,500 fruit trees to just help give them more natural sources of food so they can stop terrorising the local farmers. Um, And, you know, we bring clients to to see that work and it's being done and, you know, just guiding people's awareness, guiding the financial flows of that that tourism money back into local communities and and back into the environment to promote biodiversity and, and plant more trees. How is that bad? you know it's very very different to just going to t- venice on a t- on a package holiday and eating lots of ice cream and and you know just just doing what everyone else is doing they're both tourism but look at the difference that you can do and and the force for good so
0: you know it's difficult for some people who i mean companies like yours are there to facilitate it but you know say so me i'm a, a single mother of two it's like i can't just go off to like costa rica for a couple of weeks or or you know trekking in Kazakhstan or you're any, you know it's kind of difficult and it's it's all such a difficult balance but I guess I guess now we do have an opportunity and I hate to use the the word reset because I think it's been hijacked in in a, in a way like the great reset but um we do have an opportunity to reset things now
1: well, I think we have to I mean global warming is literally on our doorsteps now look at the heat wave in the in the US this is in the UK now we're having our hottest summer on record the flooding and the terrible loss of life in germany you know it's happening right now climate change is is speeding up we absolutely have to have a reset and i think the pandemic's been very positive in in many ways just bringing into the consciousness of people that we are def, you know we are at the mercy of nature and we we cannot control it so you know through my other work as well that works a lot in energy projects and renewable renewable energy projects especially all over the world there is a huge shift at the moment and there's a huge shift in investors as well who are you know people who are putting money into a pension plan they are starting to care where that money is being invested and if they're these pension funds are actually going to say they're investing in an oil major they're saying look you need to give us your, you, you need to show us your carbon output and they are reluctantly doing so and it's like oh their carbon output per, per, per annum is the same as canada and everyone goes oh my god that's horrific but that is the case and there is a huge shift that we're seeing at the moment of the finance in the world the energy transition it's called and 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 the great awareness of of how it all relates to the climate crisis former um vice president al gore in the us in 2018 at a bloomberg conference he said the sustainability revolution will happen i mean there's a tipping point he's been campaigning for this for years and years and years but when something happens and enough people are behind it it happens to move very very quickly and rapidly And I I really believe we're in the middle of that at the moment. He said the sustainability revolution will happen with the magnitude of the industrial revolution, but with the speed of the digital revolution. Look what's happened with our iPhones in the last 10 years. Technology has just absolutely gone through the roof with with the speed and the complexity. And we have the capacity to do that now with electric cars, with, with renewable energy projects, we just need everyone to be pushing in the in the same direction. I'm playing a playing a tiny, tiny role in this and trying to help push tourism in that direction. But it's all it's all walks of life. It's energy companies, it's it's any company just looking at their policies and, and where they put their money, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so back to you. There you are in Costa Rica when the, the world has gone to shit, and uh, <laughs> you're on a beach next to a rainforest. And did you re- did you realise that you you were lucky and you've made a move? Because let me just let me just contrast this to my life in a uh, January, February, and March 2021. I haven't been out the country since August 2020. And my single mum, two kids, freezing outside, no, nothing open except just a walk, you know, and there's only so much, so many, so much, many walks you can go on with two tiny children. Mm. And um, no school, not, like, it was just really depressing. Now, no, I'm lucky to have, you know, a nice place to live and heating and hot water and but it was really, really hard. A friend of mine uh, that I was talking to recently spent 10 weeks in the Maldives just having like just an amazing party. So it was, you know, that that old uh, saying about us all being in the same boat, but some people are in, you know... In a dinghy and some people are in a... First class a, cabin. Uh, yes, a yeah. first class cabin. What, yeah. what was life like there for you?
1: I mean, it was undoubtedly a tropical paradise, however you want to spin it. And and that's what I was shooting for and it was... Don't as be said, ashamed of it. Uh, okay. Well, it was and, and most people who were there actually chose to be there. So some people got stuck, but governments were doing repatriation flights. You know, you could get out if you wanted to and the people that were there chose to stay there and like always happens in sort of difficult times and people are thrown together we made really long lasting and and quite special friendships much faster than you would normally would i was staying in a hostel at the beach and there were argentinians there were swiss my best friend's a brazilian a guy called leo i love you leo if you're listening um, <laughs> you listening. Yeah, yeah exactly um and and just people from all walks of life local costa ricans And, you know, we just all pulled together. we go surfing together in the mornings. we cook together. We had parties. And it was amazing. The only reason I ended up actually coming back to Europe was the time difference of seven hours. I was still doing my other job that that I'd started actually at that time for for development finance. But it was a seven-hour time difference. So I was getting up at 4 a.m. to work on my laptop. And after a while, I just felt very far away. So I came back and things were not opening up here at all. And then I drove down to to North Spain and stayed in a tiny, tiny little Pueblo at the feet of the Picos de Europa mountains, which were covered in heavy snow. And I started doing hikes up there. We now run three hiking itineraries. I speak fluent Spanish. So that was an amazing experience, but also quite isolating. It was quite lonely at times, but I've now just published a book of, of 15 years of my travel, adventure travel experiences, including Ethiopia and Mongolia, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Lebanon, of course. Actually, National Geographic asked me to write an article for them after the bomb, not the bomb, sorry, the, the explosion uh, went off by the accident in the port of uh, Beirut. Because we ge- I'd, I'd spent two months living there in 2019. We were supposed to take a um, National Geographic journalist. That trip got cancelled. All the world's eyes were on Beirut and they said, well, we know you can sort of write. You've been writing blogs and things. Can you can you write an article for us? And I did. And everyone liked it. And that gave me huge confidence to say, you know, I've I've got sort of like 80,000 words of travel writing just lying around. Why don't I compile it into an anthology? And I got a, a professional travel journalist, Sarah Marshall, who'd been with me on a trip to Ethiopia and got us a double page spread in the Telegraph to be my editor and we spent six months just hacking through it. I mean, she didn't let me, she didn't let me get away with a single sentence. I had a whole chapter on Mexico when I lived, used to live there, cut. She was like, this isn't, you're just surfing and having fun. This is, no one wants to read this. Oh god like, damn it. And so, you know, I studied English literature. I trained as a journalist to have, have actually written a book now, it's I, it's a great achievement for me, but and it's go- a
0: wonderful book. I've got it here in my hand. Um, what it, what is very interesting about that is that people have done things like that during the pandemic. You know, they've taken time, they've they've written their book, and your your book is is going to be up there, I think, in in travel. Uh, what do we call them? Anthology. It's not anthology. It's travel travel logs, I guess. Travel logs. Um, it's really it's really really great book. But what I, I do think it's really interesting just picking up on something you said a little bit before that about how the pandemic has changed you as a quite a gung-ho explorer and you came back from Costa Rica and made your way to Spain and lived in a little Pueblo where you've had a, a wonderful time by all accounts but actually what's really interesting to me is it's actually made you it's made you miss home probably for the first time properly in a long time. It's changed you, hasn't it?
1: It really has. And I think what I meant to say earlier, when you were talking about comparing my experiences to to yours with your, your young kids, I don't think anyone got through the pandemic unscathed in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I had huge amounts of loneliness, although I speak the language, you know, who wants to make friends with a foreigner in the middle of a pandemic in rural spain you know we were still fully locked down for two months you know it couldn't could only go to the supermarket um or go walking by myself in cow fields so yeah i got a book out of it but you know it was there was some difficulty there it just sounds more romantic but absolutely i mean i'm back in the uk now i'm visiting friends and family just going and having some beers or having some food with friends or, or people I grew up with or my family, obviously. I've never loved the UK so much. And I think it's sort of definitely softened me up a bit. I was always, like you said, gung ho. I always just thought abroad was better, you know, just generally. I mean, I own a travel company. What do you, what do you expect? But I've never been, I've never really truly appreciated how important friends and those personal connections are. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely mellowed me quite a lot.
0: Talking of travel-related book, a book I used to buy for lots of people when I was younger, it was Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist. I knew
1: you were going to say that. Did I you? have returned and found the pot of gold. You've
0: returned and found the pot of gold. Back on our Kent, English shores. Oh, sorry, where are you from? Kent or Surrey? I
1: yeah, uh, grew up in Kent and Sussex. Sussex,
0: that's it. Yeah, it's all sort of around the same border bit there, isn't yeah. it? Sussex, It's yeah. just
1: the Shire. It's like the Shire from the yeah, Lord of the exactly, Rings, pretty yeah. much.
0: And it is, it is, there is something about that, but there's, there's also something the pot of gold being in the back of your back garden, but there is something again about, uh, about traveling. And I'm sure you're going to, you're going to be going somewhere soon, aren't you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I just think, you know, I'll always love travel. And it's a great passion of mine, but having got all of the really crazy adventures down on, on paper, which for me is a great achievement. I actually just want to use travel to actually help people and, you know, I've got friends in all these places in in Ethiopia, in in Lebanon. There's a family I'm very close to in Mongolia. They need help at the moment. You know, they're what's it been a year and a half now when tourism was their main income. They're just holding on for dear life. So, you know, I'm I'm I don't feel like I've got anything to prove personally. But uh, at the moment, I just want to get trips off the ground and get tourists out there and 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 get things moving again because i think it's really really important
0: so sam as my second ever returning customer you're not a customer you're a guest <laughs> as my second ever returning guest and Steve, to guest absolutely you know that my last question is always about music so i'm going to ask you i asked you i can't remember what your song was last time
1: it was the theme tune to the mission by Enrico Morricone, the that film, which I love. And you were giving me a lot of stick the other day because we went to a dinner party with mutual friends and I was saying I always listen to classical music in the car. Yeah. which oh, is yes. true it was I like just... giving you a
0: lot of stick I can't remember we were, we were, we were drinking quite well. <laughs> <laughs> I do like tend to give people a lot of stick I mean music is, is probably my first love um, about and it's easier to access than travel certainly at the moment mm. but the whole reason I, I started this podcast was because I wanted to rip off Desert Island Discs and like, I'm basically just a failed Desert Island Discs presenter <laughs> and if I could just forget about the travel and ask you loads of songs no I love I love the two of them the music and travel so you know what's coming I'm going to ask you my last question which is always a about music because I do believe that music and travel go hand in hand so if you had to choose one song <laughs> that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel what would that song be and what is
1: what were you doing what's the what's the story it's it's a it's a piece of classical music but even I've oh, got a bit go uh, no no wait even <laughs> I've got a bit edgy on this one but it doesn't remind me of travel it actually reminds me of home and it's something I would listen to you know everyone gets a bit lonely or or it was just there's a piece of music so everyone knows Vivaldi's Four Seasons it's been done to death and it's actually quite annoying now because it's just so overplayed <laughs> God but but,
0: Valdi's so annoying Yeah, but there's a famous, come up with something better there's a
1: famous mu- musician called Max Richter who's a modern musician he's he shot to fame with On the Nature of Daylight which was a really beautiful heartfelt piece of music for the film Arrival which is about Aliens with Amy Adams that's a really good movie but <laughs> He took Vivaldi's Four Seasons and changed it and gave it, which sounds awful, but it's just not awful at all. He's given it a very modern twist and he's inserted some pieces of electronic music, and he's, but with a whole full orchestra as well. And he's just made it into something completely eerie and beautiful and wonderful. And my sister took me to Blenheim Palace once, which is where Winston Churchill was born, in the summer a couple of years back to see a live performance of this and I didn't know who Max Richter was or anything and it was just so moving and you can listen to it on YouTube it's about 45 minutes long just put in Max Richter Vivaldi four seasons and it's just the most calming piece of music and it reminds me of my sister so whenever I was away and feeling a bit lonely I'd play that and it just soothes away the demons it's a really really beautiful piece
0: so it's safe to say you're happy to be home, but looking forward to going off on more adventures again.
1: Yeah, well, ask me in six months. I'll probably move to Mongolia, you know. I'm like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll come and visit here. I'll bring the kids, yeah. I'll bring, you know, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Thank you so much for going on the Big Travel Podcast for the second time. Let's see if we can have you back for a third.
1: I'll have to write another book. Give me another 15 years.
0: Yeah, yeah, you'll write another one. You'll do another one within 15 years. Sooner than that, I think. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Sam, for being my second only returning guest to the Big Travel Podcast. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with more brilliant guests very soon.